Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to episode 189 of the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Dave Ferguson in Chicago about my newly released book, The Rise and Fall of Movements, A Roadmap for Leaders. Okay. So, Dave, it's, it's good to be talking. I think it's got to be 10 years or more since I sort of came across the first exponential and um, it was only 1,500 people. So we got to meet and uh, been tracking ever since. Yeah, and um, I think we've had you speak at different New Thing events and different exponential events. You've been uh, at my home church, Community Christian Church, and um, um, just a moment ago, I was sharing with my wife just uh, what an influence you and your writings have been on New Thing and and a real helpful resource to us. So grateful for your friendship and your thought leadership. Great. Well, thank you. And, and uh, Exponential just keeps reoccurring in my timeline. I know God's used that, uh, not just the events, but meeting key people and uh, partnering together as a result. So it's good to be together and talking about my next book, my favorite topic at the moment. My, my, my wife just rolls her eyes when I start talking about my book. <laughs> we should probably get our wives together or maybe we shouldn't get our wives together because they might <laughs> I get a similar response too hey I got a couple of questions for you if you got some time on this book I would love to kind of pick your brain um, mm-hmm. uh, from my vantage point as someone who you know is on the ground as a lead pastor I also have the privilege of playing the visionary for a new thing which we now have about 150 some networks and over 2,400 churches. And I also get to, by God's grace, uh, be the president of Exponential. There's lots of stuff, particularly about your your new book. I'd love to hear about, but just one briefly, because I know you're 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 always leaning into movements, learning more about movements. Um, how how is this latest book the same or different from other stuff that you that you've written in the past? Hmm. Well, um, I only write books on movements. And um, so uh, there, there is a similarity. I mean, at the heart, a movement is a group of people committed to a common cause. Uh, but my focus is on movements that multiply disciples and churches. So we've sort of looked in the past at different elements, key characteristics. We've looked at uh, the pattern of how Jesus ministered and how that rolled into the, the movement he started in the New Testament. And we've looked at movement leadership. So all of those themes will continue in this next book, The Rise and Fall of Movements, A Roadmap for Leaders. And ever since I started on this journey, I've sort of wanted to capture what what are the key essentials of a movement in its most dynamic stage? But I've also wanted to wrestle with, you know, they change over time. They rise, they fall. You know, we talk about birth, growth, uh, maturity, decline, and, and decay. So this is more of revisiting the key ingredients 
but then looking at the stages of development and what's driving that rise and fall. Uh, I mean, as someone who's, I think I've read almost most everything you've done, and I'm also obviously really interested in this theme, but, but for people that are listening in our conversation to who are, you know, they're leading a local church, uh, maybe they are part of a denomination or part of a network. Why, why is it, you know, that movements are important to a local church leader? Mm. Why, why should they care? What, what difference does it make? Yeah. Well, what, one reason is that's what, what Jesus established. So, you know, you, you've, you've got the evidence in the Gospels and Acts and then flowing into the epistles. This is, this is what he does. Um, there's no other more significant driving force for good or for evil in human history than the rise and fall of movements. And not all of us, very few of us, get to play that leadership role in a significant movement. But we're all participants in one way or another. And an example, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump right back to the 18th century in Cambridge. Sure. Okay. Uh, in the UK. And you've got a guy called uh, Charles Simeon, and he's just the pastor of a local church. And they don't like him. They don't like the gospel. And on one occasion, they locked him out of his building, you know. And this went on for, you know, long periods of time. He was there 50 years or so. Huh. So what does he do with that? You know, because you sort of, in those days, you, you, you inherited your pastor and you inherited your congregation. People didn't move around, you know. So he started getting involved in the life of students at Cambridge, uh, mentoring, discipling, giving them practical uh, ministry experience, training them. And he did that for about 20 students a year. So, you know, you can do that in your spare time in 18th century England. Well, he did that for 54 years. And as a result of that, the whole evangelical movement of, uh, of the Anglican church was not only rescued from its demise, but now vital and dynamic and uh, pastors, ministers are being sent out across the country and across the world who'd been mentored and developed by Charles Simeon. So you can be a local church pastor with, um, you know, 10 or 15 hours on your hand, and if you start applying movement principles, you will have an impact. So, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, one of the things we talk about in New Thing is we, we challenge people to dream big but start small. Mm. And so the idea, what, I mean, you're, so the, the idea of a movement is really a big dream, but what you're saying is no, but it starts small. It starts with individual, yes. local church pastors, local individual followers and disciples of Jesus saying, okay, how do I multiply the life of Jesus and other folks? And yes. a guy like this in Cambridge, 20 people a year, mm. and basically he was, I mean, you can almost go back to him, and he catalyzed the whole movement. Yes, he did. And ultimately that rolled into what we call the... Uh, student volunteer movement, that heritage at Cambridge that he began. And I think thousands went into global missions uh, a century later and, and the legacy came from, from Charles Simeon. You know, with a lot of local churches, we don't start with demographic studies or vision statements or anything like that. We just, uh, we've just found you just teach people, how do I connect with someone? 
How do I share my story, the gospel story? Uh, how do I disciple someone just reading the Bible together, taking steps of obedience? And almost immediately, a local church can start applying movement principles at that micro level. And when we start seeing traction, well, we'll add all of the stratospheric stuff about multiplication and world missions and all of that. But it's coming out of they've got fresh stories in the harvest. They can tell stories of people's lives that have been transformed. And that's a powerful motivating force um, in us. So, I mean, so in this, this latest book, you, I mean, you kind of go through the rise and fall, both sides, kind of the, the upwards on the curve and then the downward on the curve. Um, let, let's jump in. I would love to kind of jump in and get some of the particulars. Now, let's talk about the rise part, okay? I mean, what, what are kind of the components what are the things, why do movements seem to suddenly rise and emerge? Yeah. Um, maybe example like you just gave and, and others. Why? Okay. Well, I used uh, Francis of Assisi for the birth phase of a movement. Okay. And, um, you know, typically there's a founder or a founding group who raise levels of discontent. You know, it's this ideal real gap. You know, here's the ideal of what we're seeking and if the gap with the real is, is lessened because we don't like the tension, well, everybody lives in what we call institutionalized hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. What Francis did is let's raise, imagine there's a rubber band between or an elastic band, I think uh, that's how you say it in America, an elastic yeah. band between my hands. The more I raise the ideal, the greater pressure there is on reality. And that's what Francis did. He just decided, I'm going to live the Gospels, you know, in terms of his mission, his lifestyle. And and thousands flocked to him because as a founder, he embodied the ideal. He lived it. Not perfectly, but he lived it. And so movement founders know how to raise those level of levels of discontent, but they also know how to cast a, a clear and, and, and uh, a, a motivating vision based on, on the mission of God. Uh, because discontent without that vision part is, is you just move into cynicism and critique, you know, and you die a thousand deaths if you, if you just stay in that. Somebody's... And this is part of what moves a movement from its birth phase into its growth phase is a key founder and a group around that person makes a commitment, we're going to do something. And uh, they start sort of modelling the action that everybody else needs to take. So the two things I hear you saying about these key, the, the key catalytic founders of movements, one is... They do have a vision for a better tomorrow. Here's where things should be. But then the second part, which sounds like it's also very important, is there's also an integrity about their lifestyle that mm-hmm. they're actually living out, at least to the best of their ability, what this new tomorrow, what's going to take to take people to this new tomorrow. So they're both talk. So, they're, they're, I mean, basically, their walk, their walk matches their talk. Yes, and sometimes to an exceptional degree, you know, founders like uh, John Wesley or, in a sense, Asbury was a founder in, uh, of Methodism in, in the U.S. 
Francis is an example. Um, they live this because somebody's got to embody the values and the mission of the movement and then empower an initial group to, to take it up. So that's a, a vital part of things. And the most precious things in those early stages of movement is the commitment of that founder and the founding group because that's all they've got. They don't have yeah. anything else than, you know, um, you know that tension with uh, reality that it needs to be different. And um, so they, they make a step of commitment, you know, we're going to do, and now we're, we're, it's not we won't stop dreaming, but some people get stuck in the dreaming phase. You, you know, they probably turn up to the conferences you and I run year after sure. year. But um, it's when the founder says we will act, you know, and we'll put the idea to work. It's, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, John Wesley in, in the UK, he just, or in England, he just said, I'm, I'm going to take this message of salvation to the nation now. And he gets on the horse and off he goes. He's modeling for everybody else um, what the movement looks like. And now in this phase, you've got to get results. Um, it's no good. You know, you'd be a little sect or something just with the dream, but, but it's got to have impact. Lives need to change. And that's been one of my critiques of the missional conversation. Guys, there comes a point at which we need to start hearing stories of new disciples, new churches being formed, uh, that mission in action, we've got to see progress. And initially at the early stages, that might be really hard to see, but you've got to, you've got to make this thing work in terms of, of what the vision is and put it into practice. And so what I'm hearing you say there is at some point it becomes measurable. Yes, yes. I mean that there's actual real tangible results I don't know. Now, maybe I'm going to push it too far. You can tell me you can put it on a, you can put it on a graph sheet and it starts to show a little bit of an upturn up and to the right. Yes. Yes. It may not be till a bit down the track. You really tracking those things. Sure. In the initial stages, you just need to see the sign and, and I'm going to bring the Lord into this. <laughs> you Absolutely. Need to see the signs of his activity in people's lives, not just in the abstract uh, conversation. But now we can put names and places to where we're seeing him at work. Because this, this promise from the Great Commission is, I'm going to be with you in this. So yeah. we actually find him on the front line at work in people's lives. And, um, and that's why we so encourage local churches just to get out in their community with with the gospel and making disciples. And they don't have to sort of win the whole community to say we've succeeded. They don't even have to be multiplying, but they need some fresh stories. But then you take those things that you see God doing, you look at the fruit, and Wesley was brilliant at this. He would experiment. Let's pinch something from the Moravians. We'll pinch this idea from George Whitfield. Um, I don't like, you know, preaching out in the open air. Um, it seems, you know, he's this proper Anglican. 
Um, <laughs> but my goodness, thousands are turning up. And we're not only seeing people converted in the open air, but now because we pinched this idea of accountability groups from the Moravians, now we're seeing people in discipleship. And he starts building the Methodist movement. And this is what's happened now. We've moved from growth phase, sorry, from birth phase into right. growth. Now we need the building blocks of a movement. We've got the heart of this thing. We can see God working. We can see what's effective. Now, for Wesley, I'm going to have circuit riders, mobile yep. machines. You know, I'm going to have local societies with classes and bands for, for effectively for church. You know, we're going to get together on a number of times each year um, to check how we're doing, to hold our circuit riders accountable, to, to, you know, check the health of the movement. So he's putting in building blocks, and this is the key, it it starts in birth. Everything depends on the founder, on a Francis yep. John West. By the time you get to sort of take off in the growth phase, the founder has empowered the movement. So whether or not they're still around, this movement can keep uh, spreading without their direct control and influence. And now it's a movement. It's not just an individual who's sort of committed to a cause. So what I'm hearing you say, so you got this, you got this catalytic visionary founder who embodies the, who embodies this, this, the, the possibility of this compelling cause, but then for it to move from really from uh, birth to growth, they begin to empower other people to also live that out. Yeah. Essentially disciple people almost at a leadership kind of level who do the same over and over but then they also, am I right about this? And this is kind of some nomenclature we use a new thing. They establish some simple systems. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Maybe I stole that from you. I don't know. Did I steal that from you? That's the word no, no, we no. use. Okay. And anyway, I would have stolen it from someone else. Yeah. It's interesting. This is interesting too. We, um, one of the things we're doing through new thing is we do something called, um, launching a reproducing network. And so we're working with trying to find key apostolic leaders who we believe have some of what you're describing in them. And we kind of break it down and some of it's very similar to what you're talking about. We talk about in phase one is the big dream. And then we talk about in phase two, you have to identify other movement makers you're going to invest in. And then in phase three, it kind of sounds like what you're talking about in the growth. We say, now you have to have simple systems some yeah. simple systems, that's what makes them reproducible. And it sounds that's like what Wesley did, and it sounds like what you're talking about in the growth phase. Yeah, and I, the, 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 the phrase I use is you, everyone needs to know what to do on Monday morning. There you go. And, and, yes. and not just a leader, but no. you know, the heroes are the people on the front line. What, right. Do they know what to do? Now, there's still the cause that's driving this. It can't just be a systems approach. And here was the aha moment for me after about 25 years of looking into this. Really, only a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm looking at it in terms of structural and organizational dynamics. It'd be so easy just to import that into a Christian movement and, okay, now the kingdom will come. But I felt like the Lord took me back to um, Jesus as a founder 
And the key moment of his baptism and his wilderness testing, because they're the two stories that precede the launching of the movement. And so you've got to figure in the sovereignty of God, this is what the Father is building into the heart of this movement that Jesus is about to found. And so I went, okay, well, let's boil this down. What are the irreducible themes, for, for me at least, in those two stories? And I won't go into the detail, but it's, it's here's a son who hears the living word of his father and obeys. So this is, this is a man in a movement under the authority of God's living word. And then secondly, you know, in, throughout the stories, the Holy Spirit is prominent, coming upon him with power, casting him into the wilderness, returning him to Galilee to launch the movement in power. So he, he's a man dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing, Jesus is committed to the core missionary task. He will not be dissuaded from giving his life as a ransom for many. That at the heart of what he's doing is he's come to give his life uh, for the sins of the world. He's come to make disciples and ultimately those disciples are, are, are going to spread throughout the world with that message making disciples, planting churches. So here's three elements, the word, the spirit, and the mission, uh, rightly understood. And that's throughout the phases of development, that's what should be driving the rise. And it's how we, uh, it's how we undo that rise in the decline is we move away from those, those three essentials that Jesus modeled for us. Give me the three essentials again, just so I have those. Okay. Obedience to the word, dependence on the Holy Spirit, faithfulness to the mission. Okay. So then, okay, so a movement we've seen, and you've studied this, to get to the zenith, they get to the peak. Let's talk about the decline. Yeah. Because, all right, so like I'm, this is going to be particularly helpful for me. Um, Just, I mean, again, by God's favor, new thing has, I mean, it, if you mapped it, I mean, it, it, there's kind of a J curve kind of growth. The mm-hmm. biggest issue we have right now is we have to create more infrastructure to make sure people are living out the values that we have because mm-hmm. more and more people are wanting to be a part of this and we're planting lots of churches. Okay. Speak to me, speak to people like me. Okay. What is, what are the things that all of a sudden, you know what, you you're on this growth curve, but then all of a sudden it just plateaus and then dies. What are the things that cause that to happen in a movement? Well, it's um, it's what I call the failure of success. Okay. So the, the moment of tapering off is actually before you get to the summit. So okay. you're in your most powerful position there at coming up to the top of the bell curve. And you, you're looking back and you're saying to yourself, look how far we've come. Let's protect what we've gained. Let's that's, is that, is, what you said there, that's, is that, that's, that, that's the shift in the attitude of the leader and the movement, protecting yeah. what we've got. Because when you started, you had nothing and you're ready to die for the cause. That's right. And now, because there's an incredible dynamic unleashed, you know, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, these are founded as Christian colleges, some of them to train ministers and missionaries. 
you know, the Red Cross, YMCA, these are Christian movements that at their peak of, because you're not only protecting what you've gained, you're also seeking to accommodate yourself to society and especially leaders are because they're religious professionals now. And so in the end you lose, certainly you lose the dynamic of the gospel being central and now mission is broadened out and let's, let's camp here, let's transform society as our core missionary task because now we have a stake in society and we start building institutions, we're recognised, and at the same time there's, there's a wariness about being really clear about what the gospel is. But that was the whole driver from the beginning. And so, you know, the Quakers did this within a, within a generation where, you know, one minute, they you know, they get up in the middle of church services and start preaching when they weren't supposed to and, you know, streak. And thousands of them ended up in prison. But within a generation, they're running 75% of the British steel industry, um, Barclays Bank, Lloyd's uh, Bank, these are all Quaker enterprises, Cadbury's, Roundtree's, if you've ever heard of those companies, yeah. still around today. But their children and grandchildren becoming nominal Anglicans. You know, they've lost that missionary fervor, that dynamism, that creative tension with society. They've settled down to protect what they've gained. And, and that's the death, well, the beginning of the end for a movement. Let me ask you this too. So let's uh, let's come over to my continent, okay? So, mm-hmm. like, um, and because the United States hasn't been around for a long time by comparison to other parts of the world, um, we we don't have a history of as many movements. You did talk about Wesley. Uh, what about even more contemporary, like like uh, a Wimber? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have a John Wimber now. My observation would be that the Vineyard Church um, at this point has not continued the same kind of rapid increase that they once had. Is, is that almost, I mean, is that because of what you just described there? And I hate to pick on the, our friends at the Vineyard. Or is that because, you know what, you had this charismatic, compelling leader who lived and died, and that's also a natural kind of order of things? I mean, the same way that the human body lives and thrives and then dies? I mean, is that is it also some part of, is it always a case of forgetting what where you came from and trying to support the status quo and protect yourself? Or is there actually you know what, we don't have any of the New Testament churches with us. Is, is there also a natural order of that to a certain extent? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And look, I think there I'm, is not looking for, I'm not looking for an excuse for the movement to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And we can get back to that. There is a natural stages of life. And I, I challenge, um, you know, dynamic ministries. I say, look, one of the best ways to renew yourself if you're on that plateau is have children and grandchildren. So you can't be, in one sense, anything else than you are. You know, you're in that maturing phase. But, and this is, I mean, my grandkids will be here in, a, in, in an hour or two. You know, it's nice. a way of bringing renewal. But, you know, 
I certainly have a lot of dear friends in the vineyard. Um, I'd say, you know, I remember hearing the stories of the early days from John Wimber, and I, I remember him just saying, he, he was just overwhelmed. He said, you know, in that that first or that particular year of, of forming the vineyard, you know, and he wasn't boasting, he just said, I personally led 200 people to the law. Yeah. And and so this thing of the, the signs and wonders, the encounter, the reality of God's presence was very much in the streets. I think... I think it may have stayed too much in the conference and the church auditorium. Mm. And so, okay, well, how do we renew that? Um, not that I'm, I'm, I'm the one to, to, to do that, but how would you, well, let's get back to where we began. Yeah. That these, these gifts, this ability to pray and to bring the presence of God um, isn't just for the conference and the auditorium, you know, the Holy Spirit gave them just enough time in pa- at Pentecost to just soak up the blessing, and then he casts them into the street. You know, same for Jesus. You know, he's this incredible power encounter with the Father at his baptism. Well, then he gets cast into the wilderness to face pure evil, and then he gets cast out to launch the movement um, on the streets, in the marketplace, and, yes, in the synagogues in Galilee. So sooner or later, and, and Pentecostalism did this well a hundred years ago. Mm. The revival comes at Azusa Street and in other places too, but at Azusa Street, Pentecostalism became a global missionary movement. They were going to the ends of the earth within weeks, often foolishly. But a hundred years later, there there are half a billion people who are Pentecostal, charismatic, or related movements. So I'd say any movement that's plateaued, get back to the first things and, and, yeah. and return to those and do them. Other things, other things related to the decline that we ought to be aware of. I think um, I think it's it's it can't be led just by creative new ideas, innovative concepts, new systems, all of those things have got to follow a return to what I call identity, Mm. which is back with Jesus in the baptism and wilderness, word, spirit, core missionary task. So you make that return, and that is a repentance, actually. And you almost like a, a, a return at that point is actually um, almost like a refounding, except you have pre-existing structures. So that's an extra problem. But you've got to get back to first things. And then you take the characteristics of dynamic movements, you know, pioneering leaders, adaptive methods, uh, rapid mobilization, contagious relationships, those things. Now with a renewed identity, you apply those in a disciplined way to, to how you do things. I have uh, both through exponential and also a new thing. Uh, we'll have denominational leaders that will come to us and want us to work with them, and we do, and we, we love those folks. Do you have... Good examples, because most denominations were movements. Mm. 
And then have most, many, most or many have kind of plateaued or maybe are even in decline. Do we have good examples of those who've done exactly what we talked about where, I mean, yeah, they saw this rapid increase, they went through a decrease, but then all of a sudden they regained the momentum. Hmm. We have a great case study in scripture, I think, with God's intervention with Peter at Cornelius's house, because this is 10 years into the movement and they okay. haven't really gone after the Gentiles. So just to say to any denominational leaders who are thinking about how do we make this happen, there's a, a great place to start. We have the Moravians um, who were a, a renewed movement and uh, we look at them as a case study. The key component is the desperation for change. Um, mm. Through my practical sort of field experience, we've found within a denomination or a network of churches or even within an individual church, you need to cast a broad net in, with that identity piece and casting vision for getting back to first things. And then you need to start training people in what they're going to do Monday morning in obedience. Now, most pastors are thinking, well, we can advance when all of our people are doing this. I'd say just even amongst the people who turn up for some training, expect about 8 to 12% will actually mm. do something. And you think, okay, so you're saying 90% are just, you know, why would I do well? You're doing that for the 8 to 12%. Pour your life into them. Don't alienate the others. Tell the stories of what God is doing. And then pour fuel on that fire. Turn those practitioners also into trainers and mobilizers. And we've got case after case, not necessarily of whole denominations, but of key churches of a very large and very small size that have got back to their identity and then started training their people in some simple, basic skills, got them back out into the harvest. It's the stories of God's activity that provides then the confidence for others to come on board and move forward. That's good. That's really good. Let, let, me, let me ask you this, um, maybe wrap up with this one. Hmm. Talk to talk to the 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 twenty five year old Steve Addison or the twenty five year old Dave Ferguson. All right, they're they're enamored with movement. They think maybe God in some way has kind of given them and it has an apostolic calling. Mm. What you know, and and they're leaning into this whole conversation. They're not afraid of it. If God would ever give them the opportunity, they would go after it. What's uh, what two or three things would you say to the 25 year old Steve Addison or Dave Ferguson? Go make a disciple of someone who is far from God. Because that's where the rubber hits the road. You know, look at this, look at the gospel stories of how Jesus grew leaders, you know, um, it's it's not in the classroom. It's not reading one of my books. Um, you know, it's hands-on training. So get some training. 
and then learn how to make disciples, not just individuals, but disciple groups. Learn, find somebody who's who's learning how to turn those groups into new communities of disciples, into churches. And, and just do it in your own backyard before you go to the ends of the earth. And there are people doing this. I, I would say just go where you hear the stories of people far from God coming to know Christ And despite all the ups and downs, they're learning to follow him step-by-step in discipleship, and that's happening in groups of new believers. You know, make that your purpose and hang out with people who have fresh stories of that happening and learn. So what I'm hearing you say is, hey, Dave, Steve, (laughs) before you're ever going to influence you know, a thousand people or 10,000 people or however many thousands of people, you have to be just what you want every one of those people to be someday. You be that right now. You do that right now, one at a time. And in time, if God's blessing and favor and giftings on you, you'll have the opportunity to influence that many. But you have to be kind of, you have to be the change you want to see in others. That's right. And, and, don't believe any of this stuff that if you're not an evangelist, because the command to make disciples is for every disciple. Yeah. Visit movements.net to download a preview of the book and to find out how you can purchase it. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.